Are you ready to be a better, more successful, and open-minded trader and investor? I'm Serge Berger, head trader and investment strategist at thestudytrader.com, and I want to help you get there. Whether you've been investing for years or are just getting your feet wet, this podcast will help you cut through the noise and get dialed in on the big picture. We will utilize research, guest interviews, and real-time analysis of the market. We're at a critical juncture in the market where knowledge really will mean power. The stock market is at a point where the Federal Reserve simply has to push the economy lower and thus the stock market likely will revisit the October 2020 lows or lower. Hey everybody, it's Serge Berger here. I'm your host of the Study Wealth Podcast. I hope everyone continues to be well here as we push uh, deeper into 2023, as I like to say. And what I want to spend a little bit of time on today is clarify our latest research thoughts, which are increasingly pointing to the stock market making uh, new lows in this cycle at some point over the coming quarter or maybe two quarters or so here in 2023. I'm recording this here just as we start uh, pushing into the month of March 2023. There's a lot of different bits and pieces here to what's going on. And one of the things that I continue to hear when I speak with professional investors in our circuit is that it is a confusing time right now. And it's largely confusing for one very specific reason. And oddly enough, it really shouldn't be all that confusing in many ways. But let me just get right to it. So typically what we tend to see is that the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world, depending on how broad-based the economic expansion or slowdown is, will tend to hike interest rates as things start to get uh, too frothy and so on and so forth. Well, usually there is a reaction function in risk assets, particularly in the credit markets, uh, and then ultimately in the bond market, that essentially looks something uh, like you know someone diving off of a board, meaning as rates go higher pretty quickly, and by quickly, I mean usually about eight, nine months or so later, we start to see things start to sputter. Now, obviously, equity prices, stock market prices have come down from where they were in uh, late 2021 or thereabouts, uh, early 2022, depending on which index you look at where they peak. But what we haven't seen yet is, and this is what's puzzling, we haven't really yet seen any sort of real panic in the credit markets. And it's puzzling because we've seen such a shocking move by the Federal Reserve. Everyone points to you know the Volcker days and you know, decades ago where rates were hiked rapidly and essentially the economy was brought to a standstill. And one of the things that we have to understand is that, yes, there's probably similarities between certain economic environments then and now, but still we do live in a different world. So as we like to say, history does tend to uh, rhyme, but it doesn't really repeat itself exactly. And that's a really, a really big thing. So what's so puzzling right now, the long story short, is that interest rates are still going higher. But everyone seems to be saying, you know what, corporate margins are not going to compress all that much. And you know what, uh, the bond market, like meaning you know, companies defaulting on their bonds, is probably not going to happen much, if at all. 
And of course, that's not true. Uh, if you look at any time in history, particularly when interest rates went up very quickly and interest rates now by the Fed went up quicker than ever. So, you know, almost 500 basis points in hikes, depending on how you, how you measure it in a matter of 18, 19, 20 months has never happened before. It's the quickest it ever happened. So why is that so puzzling? Well, it's puzzling because it's just taking longer. But why is it taking longer? It's taking longer because we came out of the pandemic. When through the pandemic, there were really no questions asked. Everyone was sent checks. Everyone was sent money. Companies were essentially bailed out, if you will. Government checks here, there, everywhere. And the sheer amount, the trillions of dollars of money that were flooded into the system have made people cash flush. And at the same time, they couldn't even spend it really. They could spend it, but not you know all of it because the lockdowns and everything. So basically, it's literally just a question of time until we get to the point where the consumer will slow down its spending probably quite dramatically, it may almost end up like being a cliff at some point. And then one month we wake up and say, oh crap, now everything's uh, at the fan. Now, more specifically, why does the Fed want the stock market lower? Is it because there are a bunch of bad guys sitting there in you know their leather chairs and you know uh, wringing their hands and, and just loving the fact when stocks go down? Probably not. I hope not. No, all joking aside, of course that's not the case. But they really have no choice but to crash the economy, and it goes actually quite deep. Uh, why that's the case. So let me try to lay out at least what our thoughts are. Of course, we're always uh, very happy uh, to listen to your views, uh, listeners' uh, views on, on what we're saying. You know, nothing's written in stone here, but all of our signs that we're seeing are pointing in that direction. So what we are seeing is we are seeing sharp inflation, inflation that's quite sticky, particularly on the services side. And we are seeing a situation where the jobs market remains very, very robust. And unfortunately, you know, it's purely the analysis. This is not obviously tragically as it is on the human individual side, but tragically, unfortunately, unemployment rate has to go up because if the unemployment rate doesn't go up, it means people have enough money to spend, which keeps inflation going higher and ultimately, which causes a really big problem. And that problem is us not being able to basically pay down our debt. So there's something called debt service. So debt service, and I've mentioned this uh, in various outlets before, but I did want to go a little bit uh, mentioned here as well. Debt service is essentially the amount of money that we as a country, United States, pay on our national debt, like financing our debt. You, know, you have to pay a coupon, a yield, so people buy your debt. The debtors is what they're called, and we have to pay them. Well, if our interest rates within our country go a lot higher, which they have, it's going to cost us a lot more to finance our debt. And given the fact that we live in a debt-laden society globally, we continue, unfortunately, to have to issue more debt going forward as well. So we can't just stop issuing debt because then stop working and then we default and so on and so forth. So that's a problem because the more we pay for our debt, the less we have money to spend on things like military and Medicare and all sorts of things that we have to spend. So there's a real risk that if interest rates stay as high as they are right now for very long, and they only would do that if the economy doesn't slow down. So there's a real risk that we would maybe not have enough money for very vital things. We have to pay our debt holders. We can't default on our debt. That would be the end of it. So we can't do that. So we have to find cuts 
and and stop or cut back spending on other things, which we all have to spend. We have to spend stuff. We have to pay, you know, military. We have to pay for Medicare, all those kinds of things that we need and want. Um, so with a solution, and again, this sounds a bit a bit dire, but it is what it comes down to in our view, is for the Fed to really drive this economy into a wall. And maybe that's not, you know, the technically correct term to use, but you know, it really is what has to happen. And it's not, again, this is not something that would be nice for it to happen. I think this really has to happen. So unless the economy slows down enough to basically, you know, start poking holes into the jobs market, which in turn will poke holes into consumer spending and which in turn ultimately will, will at least to some extent poke holes into inflation, unless that happens and it's all linked to the economy, the growth has to slow. In fact, ultimately it has to, has to even go negative. It has to happen for all the reasons, as I said before. And that's also why the stock market most likely has to go lower and the Fed wants the stock market to go lower. Again, it's not that they say, oh, we need the S&P to go to X level. That is, I can guarantee you, that's not what they want. They don't have a level, but they can't have stocks be where they are right now. The economy is too hot. It has to slow down. Again, for many reasons, one of the more important reasons that I think is little talked about is what I just mentioned, which is exactly that service burden that we have. So interest rates have to go down. And rates won't go down unless the economy slows, unless inflation goes down, unless the job market weakens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all linked together. Which brings me to what I think is a really important point, which is the stages of the bear market. And, and again, I've highlighted this before as well, but I do want to spend a couple moments here discussing those three stages. Now, stage number one in a bear market, and this is classically what we call the recession playbook, at least on the equity side. The bear market tends to be such that you have to bubble pop. So if you think about 2022, what happened? Well, the bubble popped, the, the equity market bubble, the most riskiest and craziest stuff out there popped first. So crypto, non-profitable tech, you know, NFTs, all those kinds of things where we're just at silly valuations, couldn't even give them valuation because most of them didn't make any money. So that popped, that's 2022. But it still left people with a hope because their biggest names that they owned didn't crash as much. The apples of the world, Microsoft's held up relatively well. They still had a job. And even if they did lose 30% of their portfolio, they still said, you know what? Well, I've made so much money over the past five to 10 years. What's 30%? Well, what then tends to happen is that the inflation starts to come down a little bit and people start very giddy because I think we're out of the woods, soft landing, interest rates are going to go down and everything's awesome again. And so we're going to buy, you know, Bitcoin and whatever. And, and by the way, I should make a note, like I'm not against Bitcoin at all. In fact, we own Bitcoin and, and that's all good and well, but it has a, a different duration in our portfolio, meaning very long-term uh, sort of view. But the stage two of the market is what we essentially just had for a number of months. It started somewhere around mid-October of 2022 when inflation fears started to come down a little bit, again, basically people meant that's going to be a soft landing. Interest rates started coming down a little bit. Certainly the rate of change in inflation started to deflate. That's kind of where we are. So people are once again complacent. And just exactly at this point right now, when interest rates are once again accelerating because inflation is not yet coming down, the Fed, uh, or as much as they want, the Fed has to keep the foot on the accelerator they're going to have to hike rates more. And that is usually that last leg of the rate hiking cycle 
that last leg is usually when they start to really break things. And again, I truly don't think this is a question of if, I truly think this is a question of when things will break. And things will usually break in the credit markets. Every single recession I've ever seen or read about, uh, you know, that was before my time, had at the core some credit problems where either corporate borrowers were defaulting or close to defaulting or individual borrowers. So if you think about the great financial crisis, 2007, 2009, what happened? Well, we had people defaulting, right, on their mortgages, on pretty much everything, ultimately. Then we had companies go bankrupt, right, because they had more people bar for foreclosing homes and so on and so forth. And the whole domino effect brought things down. So just as one example, because I think people remember that one. But this time it could be something totally different, but it's usually related to credit. And particularly when you have a period in time when you have ultra low credit, ultra low interest rates, which we had for almost a decade. And then we went from ultra low rates to basically zero interest rates in 2020. And you had that for a period of time of about a year or so. That's usually when things can get ugly really quickly once the time has come to a point where at higher interest rates have worked their ways into the system. So if we look at statistics right now, we see interest rates on credit card debt somewhere around, I think it's a 20 or 30 year high, around 20%. Uh, at the same time, the debt burden on credit cards is going through the roof as well. Corporate borrowers, a lot of corporates, and, and again, I've mentioned this several times before over the past number of uh, months and a couple of quarters, Corporate borrowers, which is really where I think we're going to start to see problems. A lot of these so-called zombie companies, every day, basically, there is some company somewhere that has to reset their loan or their bonds at levels that are astronomically higher from where they borrowed just, you know, let's say two, three years ago. And that's really where the problems are going to be. So again, I come back to the title of, the, of today's podcast, which is why the Fed has to see stock market lower, why the Fed more directly has to have the economy slow down and probably go into a recession. Again, there's really not much of a choice. And that's why the Fed remains very hawkish. And guess what? At some point they will flip, but you first need to see a problem in the economy. The Fed will not ease their policy until stuff starts to break. Again, not because they're trying to be mean, because they need to force the economy lower to its knees. They know that. They probably waited too long anyway, but that's a hindsight thing, which we can't change at this point. But, uh, but that's really what we think has to happen. So I think that's something to, um, to kind of uh, keep in the back of our heads. I did want to spend a few minutes right now to talk about interest rates and, and interest rates in terms of how it could benefit in our portfolio. Well, one of the side benefits and again, very much orchestrated by the Fed, uh, one of the side benefits of having higher interest rates is that we are able to take on, depending on which bonds we buy at which maturity, but let's assume we buy six or 12-month T-bills, uh, we're able to basically take on risk-free investment. I mean, literally, truly risk-free. We buy a six or 12-month T-bill and we hold it for six or 12 months until maturity, right? That's the point. We get the full amount back and we get a coupon of about 5% yield or so currently on those short-term papers. So we have now, for the first time in more than 12, 13, 14 years or so, uh, have an opportunity where we can pick up, again, roughly 5% risk-free. 
Again, not talking about buying 10-year treasuries or five-year. Those carry a bit more risk because they can also fluctuate in price more. But if we hold a six-month paper right now or a 12-month paper and hold it to maturity, 5% is the number more or less that we should be able to get. Maybe a bit less if it's full year. Uh, six months is about uh, right now as I'm recording is about 5%. Of course, that fluctuates. So what does that mean? Well, it should entice individual investors and corporates to move into the bond market. While this has started to happen, it started happening uh, in late spring into the summer of 20, 2022 already, it hasn't happened enough to move the needle in the bond market, meaning uh, bond prices have still been going lower or at least stalled because of two things. Number one, people were still scared because there's a lot of volatility in the bond market, number one. And number two, because what we are seeing is basically quantitative tightening. So Fed essentially sells more securities. Right. And, and that sort of liquidity has to be soaked up. And so, you know, there's a lot of supply coming onto the market and less buyers. So that is going to take a little while longer, but I suspect we are quite close within you know, a few months at this point is my best guesstimate of when the bond market is going to get really giddy. The economy, for one, will slow quicker. So by late spring, early summer, lots of things start to come to fruition by around June or so. Um, from both a fiscal perspective, we have debt ceiling that we have to politically be able to somehow uh, negotiate higher, uh, but also things in Japan, for example, the uh, the Japanese central bank, they have a change in, uh, in governor. So a lot of changes happening there. A lot of risk happening all at once. And by the way, economic data looks like it's going to start rolling over around that period of time as well, at more or less at the latest from what we can gather right now. So the bond market. So right now, again, we have that opportunity, the bond market, and the Fed is doing this as a function of the way the system is set up. So me as an individual investor, and I obviously I'm not giving you financial advice here, but I would encourage everyone to look at the bond market. We're getting paid right now, literally risk-free if we look at very short-term uh, U.S. government uh, debt, literally risk-free to wait it out, right? So in, in other words, one way of thinking about it, going back to the, the stock market analogy and the Fed and why the Fed wants lower stock prices and the economy slow, well, if rates are this high, at some point, those interest rates become a really lucrative alternative to equities, to stocks, so some people, and it's already been happening just on a smaller scale, but we think it's going to increase and that you know, waves of people selling stocks and buying bonds will increase over the coming you know, months and quarters. So again, but this is only happening because the Fed is pushing rates higher and they know one of the side effects is not only slowing the economy, which is what they want, but also investors sell their stocks, which is another way of getting to what, where they want to go. So the wealth effect comes down. So people feel less wealthy when their stocks drive. So right now, what we're suggesting for anyone you know, that we have as clients, this is not a recommendation to you here as a listener specifically, individually, because I don't know you specifically, but we are advising people on our client side or on the, at Blue Marlin Advisors, uh, which is bluemarlinadvisor.com, uh, our investment advisory firm, or over at The Steady Trader at www.thesteadytrader.com, uh, where we do it through the lens of research, so financial publishing. Uh, we are telling people it is time to sell stocks and buy bonds. And um, that is a theme that we have been now saying for several months. So this is nothing new, but we think that allocating more to the bond market, particularly short, and allows us to get paid. And guess what? Let's assume, and this is just 
you know, obviously things change over time. Let's assume the playbook is that in um, seven or eight months, let's assume that in seven or eight months, maybe it's nine or 10 months, let's assume for a minute that we are going to see the stock market having really cratered and the Fed starts to pivot and, you know, start to maybe even cut rates at some point, so on and so forth. Well, at that point, if I have very little stocks, I have lost very little money if it plays out this way. And if I have a lot of money in bonds in the short end stuff, I have now gotten paid basically 5% risk-free to just wait. When is the last time, and I said, I'm going to say it again, when is the last time we were able to receive 5% risk-free? And I know it doesn't sound like a lot of money because in 2021, everyone made a gazillion dollars trading Dogecoin and then it went to zero, but 5% is serious and it's better than losing money. And if you think about it from a portfolio return perspective, previously, I'll give you a statistic here and I'll wrap it up on this statistic, but this is really important. So please stay tuned for another two minutes or so. The statistic is as following. If we buy bonds and get a nice dividend paid, a coupon paid, or if you buy stock, uh, dividend paying stocks, although of course there's risk in stocks, but let's just stay with, with the bond analogy. We're able to get back to break even much quicker on a portfolio that took a drawdown. So like, for example, in typical bear markets, um, it takes at least a couple of years for stocks to go back to their previous all-time highs. In fact, I think the median month uh, that it takes looking back about 50 years is somewhere around, I think somewhere around uh, 30 months. So that's, you know, uh, about three years. Yeah, actually less than three years. So, but two and a half years, like I said before. But if we're able to, in the meantime, also invest in bonds, that give us a yield, particularly if it's risk-free, 5% right now, we're able to get back to break even and even make money much, much, much quicker. So long story short, the Fed wants the economy is slow down. The Fed thus indirectly needs the stock market to come down. Again, I certainly think we're going to make lower lows than we had in October 2022 in stocks, so in the S&P 500. And that in turn should ultimately at some point have the effects that we want it to have, which is lower inflation. And then it'll be a great time to buy stocks once again. In the meantime, we get paid Again, if it's done right, risk-free, 5%. We think portfolios need to respect that. Very few people are doing it yet. And that is the, the message that I want to, uh, to bring across today. So I hope this was helpful as always, folks. Again, if you're interested in our financial publishing, the research, the trade alerts, the software and everything that we use, uh, you can go over to www.thesteadytrader.com. If you are looking for an investment advisor, a money manager, a financial planner, you can go over to www.bluemarlinadvisor.com right? so singular.com, and uh, you can take a free risk assessment there. We'll talk to you. We'll look at your portfolio and uh, see if we can help you out. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you in the next Steady Wealth Podcast.